This is episode 19 of Eat, Play, Sex. Here's a hot highlight for what's to come. We don't tell men, gee, if intercourse gets you there all the time, stop doing that because, you know, there's other ways or better ways. But when it comes to women's orgasms, we're always saying, well, this is the right way and this is the wrong way and don't do it this way. And, you know, I kind of call bullshit on that. This podcast is for mature audiences 18 and over and for entertainment purposes only. Please contact your healthcare provider before pursuing any of our topics discussed. You're listening to Eat, Play, Sex with your queens of climax, Dr. Kat and Di. The place to get play, sex, and nutrition talk straight to your ears. Side effects of this podcast may include more lovemaking, hormone harmony, spontaneous sex, exceptional orgasms, less sugar cravings, and more sex cravings. In rare cases, listeners experience a strong desire to try new sexual positions and lube with organic edibles. If you experience moods happier than usual, contact your Facebook friends immediately. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Eat, Play, Sex. I'm a sex expert, Dr. Kat Meyer. And I'm nutritionist and hormone expert, Diane Kayser. I am so excited for this week. Oh, my gosh. We have Dr. Lori Mintz on to talk to us about becoming clitorate. What? What? Yeah. Now, how clitorate are you? (laughs) Wait a second. Is this word in Wikipedia? (laughs) I don't know. I was almost thinking like Urban Dictionary kind of. You said dictionary. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're really. What are we talking about this week, Kat? Oh, we're really excited about this topic. Uh, we get to talk about the amazing knowledge of the clitoris. I think it's really empowering when we know how our body works. And Dr. Lori Mintz wrote the book Becoming Clitorate in order to help people understand why the orgasm equality matters, how to get orgasms, uh, how to communicate to your partners for orgasms, how to really just empower yourself in your own pleasure. Mm. Yes. Oh my gosh. I was reading her book over the weekend in between the sheets. And this guy I've been dating was like, what is this book? (laughs) And then it became a uh, little frisk session. So this book in and of itself is some foreplay. (laughs) Let me show you what this book is about. (laughs) Can we act out section five, chapter 12, uh, station 69? (laughs) (laughs) lovers you are the reason that we do this show and we want to thank you for tuning in spreading the word leaving reviews and trying some of the suggestions that we recommend on our blog we've been getting um, the most amazing feedback on the products that we even use ourselves including the vibrator yumi Mm -hmm. because our goal is to get you to eat play and sex better you can improve your sex life, which will improve every single aspect of your life, and everybody's going to love that you're orgasming and that you're in pleasure and all those yummy things. But if you have, smell it. They can smell it. <laughs> if you haven't already, please head to Eat Play Sex, where you can subscribe to our show. You can connect with us and grab our sexy guides to boost your confidence, vitality, and sex life. And we're also giving away one free Yumi Pleasure toy each month to a lucky listener. So, ladies, I use this pretty much every day. I don't Me know about too. you. A ga- total game changer, game right? Changer. Yeah. All you have to do is to share this episode and hashtag EatPlaySex on your favorite social media platform. Check out our website, EatPlaySex.com, for the official contest rules. Now, I really want to get to Dr. Lori Mintz. And thank you so much for joining us today, Lori. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. 
the first time that I got to meet with Lori Mintz, I've been following her work for a while, and I met her, finally got to meet her at the recent ASECT conference that was at Las Vegas. And uh, she and I did an interview together talking about her latest book, Becoming Cliterate, and her other book, A Tired Woman's Guide to Passionate Sex. I had so much fun with you, Lori. I had so much fun with you as well. (laughs) If you want to check out that interview in full, it's amazing, super fun. We're laughing, we're holding vibrators, we're, you know, doing all kinds of things. Um, You can go to katmeyer.com and listen to the full video. Can I just say something about you two? Yeah. Anything. This is Diane speaking. <laughs> you, it was so cute because I was supposed to be at that show with you, and then yeah. we, we um, had decided against it to, at the last minute. And I listened to the interview that you guys did together, and I just thought you guys were so adorable. And and this is not even an, a biased perspective because this is our show together, Doctor Cat. But like you two, even educated me so much, and I couldn't even get off. Like you know how there's those like. You get off in like a minute. Well, wow. I mean, I'm talking about you get off in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we're talking about today is getting off in a minute. Well, um, if you are, if you only have five minutes anyway, but, um, I, you know, people tune out of whatever it is that they're listening to. And I found it so captivating as an outsider because I, I'm more of the nutrition and hormones person. And so when I heard you guys talking about these things, I'm constantly learning on the show too. And when I heard you guys talk, I was so, I just got me even that much more excited. It was like the foreplay for today's show. Um, I think that what you were talking about was something that people who, and that's what I love about this, what we're going to talk about today is we're going to dumb it down in such a way that even people who are novices or, or just beginners in, in this element of orgasms and, and how to, you know, find your voice in between the sheets. You guys did it in such a playful manner and, and I wanted to be there with you. So I think that that should have been like a million views because it was such an important topic too. Uh, I actually kept hearing from people afterward how powerful it was for them that they didn't know. They just don't. And, <gasps> and that's the thing is they just don't know. So Lori, following all of your work you're an author you're a therapist you're a professor and i what i love is how dedicated you are to women's pleasure and helping women to really live richer and fuller lives and using the knowledge of your science of your psychology in order to back up everything well, thank you. I think you two are making my head bigger, and I don't mean my clitoral head, but we'll probably talk about that in a minute. <laughs> Tell me <laughs> more. <laughs> but I uh, know I am really passionate about helping women get orgasms, experience orgasms, have pleasure, and it's just so sad to me that how little knowledge about women's bodies and how women function sexually is known in our culture so that's my passion and I appreciate being here to help and having you help me spread the word and for all of you that you do um, to to achieve that same goal you know that makes me think about this culture and how we talk about orgasms or even how we talk about sex we talk a lot about the men having orgasms you know and how sex is not done until the man has an orgasm but why do you think that there's such a large gap there between the men and women so I think the reason for the gap and by the orgasm gap we're talking about just to fill people in in case they don't know and there's and I have some of these stats in my book but basically when heterosexual cisgendered people have sex the men are having way more orgasms than women and that's in 
all kinds of sex, casual sex, relationship sex. One of the most striking statistics from my own research is in first-time hookup sex, 55% of men versus 4% of women say they usually orgasm the first time. So something is going on. Yeah. Isn't that striking? Yeah. That's 55 versus 4. There was another statistic. I thought this was pretty, pretty, again, these are our blind spots, Dr. Lori, and that's what I love so much about your work is that statistics to me, I'm a numbers girl. I love numbers and I love seeing, you know, what populations of people are what and what category you fit in so that you know how you can move to a category because point A is very important to get to point B. So first of all, you have to know where you are, A. Um, B is where do you want to go? And so A is with this one, with women, the most reliable route to orgasm, um, you said that rarely, if ever, orgasm with a partner is 19%. Direct clitoral stimulation alone, 34%. Intercourse alone, 4%. So I think for me, that relieved a lot of pressure. It was like, God, I thought, you know, you're supposed to have sex with, with, just, sex, with just the person and without the toy, like, and then people shame themselves for that. And then they haven't been taught to use a toy. So intercourse alone, 4%, crazy. And then intercourse plus direct clitoral stimulation is 43%, which was the largest. And I think that blind spot, what you just shed, those two statistics, the one I just shared, and the one prior to that you shared, I think stats are really empowering. Why would, why are you so hungry for these statistics? Well, you know, I think that statistics, I never want anyone to feel bad about how they reach an orgasm ever, whether they're in the 4% or the 43% you just talked about. But in our culture, we have this idea that women should orgasm from intercourse alone. We use the word sex and intercourse as if they're the same thing. And we have this sexual script that's foreplay just to get her ready for intercourse. Intercourse, he orgasms. She usually fakes it alongside um, or doesn't orgasm and then sex over. And the reason the stats are so important to me is because they help people get over this. There's something wrong with me. I'm abnormal. I'm weird. You know, when I tell people that up somewhere between 70 and 95% of women do not organize or do not organize, do not orgasm from, <laughs> That's true um, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, from the thrusting penis alone, they're so relieved. They're like, oh. So I'm not some weird freak, you know, and I'm really careful with the statistics, too, because, again, even that 4%, hallelujah to you, nothing wrong with that, nothing right about it. It is how you are. And, you know, I want women to feel just as empowered in the 4% as the 43% to experience their pleasure and orgasm the way that their bodies want to and the way their bodies work, because every woman's body is different. Oh, I love that you say that. Everyone's body, every woman's body is different. And I hear a lot of clients who come in here or even just some of my listeners who say uh, it takes them 45 minutes to orgasm and they get they feel like there's something wrong with them or some women who've never orgasmed at all. And yet they still enjoy sexual or some of them, they enjoy the sex and some of them end up shaming themselves and try to avoid sex because they think that there's something wrong with them. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, we have so much 
this is really, we have one of my sort of pet peeves, you know, because I, I teach college students. And I told them once, and I wrote this, and I thought people would be like, no, no. But instead, they were like, yes, that's exactly right. Especially our current generation is, I call them the most misinformed generation about sex ever, because mm. they have so much information about sex at their fingertips, including porn, which there is nothing wrong with porn, except it isn't sex ed. It's not realistic. Um, yeah. And so people are using these models that are not realistic and thinking, oh, my body's supposed to work that way. And, you know, what's really important for women to understand is that every woman's sort of, I call it a genital footprint, but the nerves in every woman's genitals are positioned just a little bit differently. So that while 95% of women need clitoral vulva stimulation to reach orgasm, someone might have their like sweet spot to the right of their clitoral hood. Someone might have it on their clitoral hood. Someone might have it to the left. Someone might have it around their vaginal opening. And like really women need to know, you need to explore your own body, find out where your nerves are positioned, and then be able to translate that knowledge into sex with a partner. Mm, which really gives them permission to, to be with their bodies and to figure out what that is. We're so many, there's so many articles out there, and Diane, you and I were talking about this earlier, there's these articles out there that are saying, you know, this is how you do it. How to orgasm in six steps, or, you know, <laughs> stuff like that, and it, it's, it's kind of like, okay, those, those, are, those, are, those can work, right? But they aren't for everyone, and it's not until you drop into your own body, into your own sensations, you don't to figure out what works for you. That's exactly right. And I get so nervous and I want to tell people, anytime you see something that says, always do this and you will always orgasm, <laughs> you know, never do this because you won't orgasm or like anything that is just so clear. And I really, you know, there is no instruction that fits for everybody. If there was, we wouldn't have 19 to 20 some percent of women having trouble with reaching orgasm. And in fact, when I wrote what I call the climactic chapter of my book, Becoming Clitorate, yeah, <laughs> which is how to apply this to partnered sex, I had to work really hard to figure out how do I tell women to do this without saying, everyone try this, you know? And I actually was pretty pleased with how I did it, which I can talk about if you want, but I was really clear. I wasn't going to give the usual like orgasm in five easy steps because yeah. it doesn't work. Yeah. And it just perpetuates the shame. Yeah. That's our conditioning is that we're like, we think that things need to be easy and overnight, like you said. And I think that of things, I love the concepts that are coming back into vogue. And for people who are listening to the show, I think that they're already starting those things. I don't think people land on our show and, and expect an overnight miracle. I think that we're the ones who are looking for the real deal. And that is not a slow or overnight thing. And slow foods coming, and I'm the nutritionist of the show, so I get really excited about this, like slow foods coming back in vogue. And slow food means actual real food, not like the 90% of things, P-H-E-U-D, faux food, that um, is sold in supermarkets. That's not real food. It's it's not you know stuff that you can get from the the ground. And I think that that's a big part that impacts our orgasms, our sex drive, our connection. And we talk about that on other shows. Uh, we did have a show where we talked. What I really like this my my favorite topic is the gut. 
and we interviewed uh, microbiome specialist uh, and, and expert Kiran Krishnan on the four phases of um, the, the cycle, of, of the response cycle, the sexual response cycle. We talked about that and how they're so important, you know, excitement, plateau, orgasm, and then resolution. And with excitement, that is something that today we're skipping. We're making sex fast. And it's like, why do we have to know everything else is convenient, but why does sex have to be like, this is where the real love is. And that's where oxytocin and connection happens. So Dr. Lori, I know there was one of the things that we talked about offline prior to where we heard of this dogma, like the nevers and always like anytime for our listeners, you guys hear that we want you to stop and question, like slow down, hold on. Who is saying that to you and why? And how are they benefiting it? Where do they get the information? Never and always are very, um, these are words that are used too often and, and they typically result in a lot of shame and they are dogmatic. They want you to follow their way, but there isn't an always and a never typically with sex stuff. And I, I can't really think of any by the top of my head. Never use a vibrator. Say, I hear that yeah. one a lot. <laughs> Yeah, and so that, that's what I wanted to ask you, Dr. Laurie, is that we did hear um, something recently in an article where uh, we were talking about the phases of the response cycle. So maybe we should clarify what the, the phases of the response cycle are and why they're so important to have some mind-blowing connecting sex. Sure. So I'm going to, I can tell you, do you want me to talk about, I'll talk about the phases real quickly. And then maybe if you want to hop in and say what this article said, so then I can debunk, debunk it. But basically, um, pardon me. Oh, I'm just like, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> she gave me a high five. Cheering you on. <laughs> so, Dr. Lori. <laughs> so I don't go into this a lot in my book, but I teach it in my class that basically there are phases, and we've known this since Masters and Johnson, there are phases of sexual arousal and orgasm. And I'm just going to talk about women. And I'm going to skip over this whole idea of desire because it's not linear in women like in we always used to talk about desire precedes arousal um and and in women we know that's actually not true sometimes women have their des- they are aroused before they have desire and i can talk about that in my upcoming podcast about my other book because it's key to that book so let's just start with arousal basically with arousal you're getting, you know, excited and you're starting to lubricate and you're breathing a little heavier and you're basically it's just that really wonderful like, oh, this is going to be fun. I'm going to say, you know, I like this, you know, and then you go into what's called plateau and that's a very it's a very high state of arousal and your body goes through several sort of confusing changes in that stage, sometimes women get really confused because um, during arousal, their uh, their clitoral glands, you know, sometimes retreat a little. Their nipples don't look as aroused. So sometimes the naive viewer, which her partner, will think, "Oh no, what's happening?" But that's mm-hmm. just part of it. But it's a really, really high level of excitement that precedes orgasm. And what's really, really important about these two first phases, it is during those phases that um, the vagina lubricates. Now, side note, not everybody lubricates with enough um, natural lubrication to make penetrative sex pleasurable. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with it's actually enhancing to add lubricant. But that's when the vagina lubricates. And also, during that time, the vagina becomes a tent. It gets smaller in the front and elongates in the back, and the cervix pulls up. Intense. 
I get it intense. I know. That's adorable. I always do that when I'm going camping. <laughs> I'm going camping. Intense. So oh my god, I just want to pinch your cheeks right now. You know, if you have penetrative sex before that, it's gonna hurt because you're not gonna be lubricated. Yes. The penis is going to hit the cervix, which is painful. So what's really, you know, kind of upsetting to me is that there's been some surveys saying people spend about five minutes on that phase, those two phases before having penetrative sex, and then they wonder why it hurts. Well, the average woman needs 20 to 25 minutes in those phases to be lubricated, aroused enough, although it can you can speed it up with a vibrator for sure. And then there's orgasm, which is really, it's the same actually in women and men. It's the muscle contraction. So what's happening during those other phases, the blood flows in, but these special capillaries prevent it from flowing out. And then an orgasm was just this pleasurable feeling with muscle contractions and the blood flows out again. And then there's a phase of resolution where you come back down from that. Now, men come back down with the, for, by you know, generally can't have another orgasm. Women um, can come back down a little and then quickly go up again. Yes, they can. Again and again and again and again. <laughs> Sounds like a hot Sunday to me. Have sequen- <laughs> A hot fudge Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not a goal to strive for either because some women just don't like it or can't, their bodies doesn't work that way, right? So, but women can have, I don't call them multiple orgasms, I call them sequential orgasms. Yeah. Because I like that. Yeah, that they're there's they're in a row, but there's a different there's like, okay, an orgasm. All right, stop the stop the buzzing for a minute, take a little minute rest, start again. There it goes again, or whatever. So a second. So those are the phases. I hope I made them clear. No, yeah. They're very clear. I just had a couple of questions. And first of all, um, I don't know if I've ever shared this in the show or if I've ever asked a sexpert. I've never even asked Dr. Kat this, I don't <gasps> think. But oh, my God. My, I feel I my, betrayed. <laughs> you normally you call me at like midnight. I have a question. <laughs> I want to, I need to talk about this. (laughs) She's like, what part of you is crying? I'm like, oh, which one of you is dripping? My eyes or my, no, I, um, my, my, my record. And it's so funny. I, I, my record is 14 orgasms in one session. And I have no idea if there is like an average, is there Dr. Lori or Dr. Kat? For sequential orgasms, the average is about, people will say two to seven or eight. But so you're a little higher than average, but women have been recorded having as many as um, there is a report of a very few women who could have 100, you know, but I've heard 12, 15 before as well. So it's really like what your body is, you know, the state it's in at that moment, your mind, everything goes into it. And um, so you're, you're, like I say, you're a little higher than the average, but you know, that's perfect. You're perfectly normal. And that's back to that stat question again. So whether you have one orgasm during a sex session or you have 15, it's all perfectly okay and perfectly normal. And there's no ideal to strive for um, when it comes to pleasure and uh, orgasm. I'm betting that those numbers that you're referring to are um, based on using toys, pleasure toys for clitoral stimulation. 
Well, most of those multiple orgasms, that those sequential orgasms, they are from, they're not from penetration. They're from the same way that most people, women, orgasm in general. It's from vulva clitoral stimulation. 95% of women need that type of stimulation to orgasm. And here's another one of my fun facts that I throw in. If only 1.2% of women masturbate exclusively by putting something inside their vaginas so what does that tell you but yet then we have sex with men and we think oh that's how i should come this way you know and it's just only 1.2 percent so most women or uh, masturbate self-love through clitoral stimulation let's talk about that part because I know that there's so many women, and that's why we're really excited to have um, Yumi as a sponsor because, and it's got a lot of my clients who are my nutrition clients excited about it. So it's becoming like a our show is becoming representative of, of our clientele, and so I'm really excited that that women are more open to pleasure toys and they're excited about them and they're not ashamed about them, which is why I love your book so much too, Doctor Laura. Because you know, in page 98, you're talking about religion and sexual shame and, and having intentions, like having things on the wall and writing little post-its, like sex is a wonderful part of life that I deserve to enjoy and then a whole bunch of other things you know tips like turning your brain off during sex and mindfulness and and this brings it back to you know what Dr. Katz doing with Dr. Ava mindfulness and how how what does that even mean you know mindfulness is is simply staying focused completely on what's happening in this moment your mind and your physical body and how you use like um, the roller coaster as an example, like your mind and your body cannot both be escape that situation. And so if we attribute that to sex, imagine how much more pleasurable it would be, you know, because it increases happiness and decreases depression and diminishes anxiety and can help people with chronic illness too, which is why I love that last phase you talked about um, resolution. You know, resolution is actually, you know, 10 times plus more powerful um, than morphine, you know, so it's a painkiller to get to that point. And so there is, you know, there is a reason to orgasm even beyond just like the big O that we see talked about so much is that there's actually a big sense of calm and this is the medicine that we lack a lot of in society today so I wanted to um, bring back the, the 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 what we referenced earlier the myth that using vibrators or using them incorrectly or the what the right way to do it I wanted to clarify something first so the excitement plateau phase you you I think you said those two together should last 20 minutes is that what you were saying well I'd said that what I said is that women um, generally require 20, um, anywhere from 10 to 45 minutes in those phases sort of combined before reaching orgasm. The average woman needs 20, and I can't exactly, I'm not going to say five minutes in this phase and you know yeah. 20 in this, but the bottom line is that the average woman during partnered sex requires 20 to 45 minutes of clitoral stimulation prior to orgasming. But, and this might get to your, that article you were talking about, what's really, here's my, another fun little, you know, factoid that I love. The Mm. average man, when he's masturbating, takes four minutes to reach orgasm. The average man, when he puts his penis in a vagina, takes four minutes from putting it into orgasming. The average woman, when she's masturbating with a sex toy or her fingers, takes four minutes to orgasm, but it takes us 20 to 45 with a partner. And that's because we know exactly how we like to touch ourselves when we're by ourselves. We don't have all that, oh, do I look good? Do I smell good? Is it taking too long? Is he getting bored? Am I doing it right? Mm -hmm. In In our heads. 
So when you're pleasuring yourself, those phases can go really fast. When you're Whoa. with a partner, not necessarily. Wow. You're saying even with, like, when, with a partner, 20 minutes even with a toy involved? It can be. It can or be. With or without. Wow. Yeah, it That's can intense. Be. Okay, so this is an interesting, I guess you can say, um, way to, and it's not a shaming thing, but I do talk about this a lot. I talk about what, what Kat's doing um, with Dr. Ava and, and Dr. Kat and Dr. Ava's sexy sizes because it's having, and you talk about this in your book too, um, exercise is really important because it, it's, it gets us, number one, feeling sexier, but nitric oxide and blood flow and having that, that muscular contraction that sends blood flow to those areas, if you're not exercising regularly, then your body is going, oh, wait, we forgot how to move like this. So I, I think that that is really important for health. And and I do want to get back to the article um, that we did see that we was talking about that the problem with vibrators is that they bypass the plateau phase of orgasm. So what would you say about that, about kind of shaming um, or, or I guess I think narrating it's just misinformation. Is really what it is. I completely agree. You know, to shame somebody for using a vibrator. I mean, vibrators have been in existence forever. You know, yeah, great. I mean, in some form or another, um, there was an article. It was really fun the other day, tracing back that women in um, the Greek and Roman eras sometimes put bees in a, a tight box and then would put it against their vulva because of the oh vibration. Oh, no way! Amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is what women... That's so cool. <laughs> Check it's like out a do-it-yourself. Um, you yeah, literally yeah. do-it-yourself, DIY. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it just shows you women's bodies, women's clitorises respond to a vibrating feeling. And just because, you know, some women, and there's so many different vibrators. You might have one you love, one you don't love, one that feels this way or that way. And the bottom line is that However, your clitoris and vulva like to be stimulated is fine. And if a vibrator always gets you there, fantastic. Then always use a vibrator. We don't tell, and I'm not trying to be anti-male. I mean, I'm married to a man. I love men. But we don't tell men, gee, if intercourse gets you there all the time, stop doing that because, you know, there's other ways or better ways. Um, but when it comes to women's orgasms, we're always saying, well, this is the right way and this is the wrong way and don't do it this way. And you know, I kind of call bullshit on that. You know, if yes. it, it, whatever gets you there is what gets you there. And if you have this article that says don't use a vibrator for a reason that's completely false because you can't pass the plateau phase. And, you know, you have to go through that to orgasm, however short. It's just bull. And however you have your orgasm is the best way for you to have your orgasm. And as long as it takes... As long as it takes is fine. I love the information that you give people is so empowering, not only for women, but I think for men too, who shame themselves because they're like, why can't I help her reach an orgasm? Why, you know, I've been, I've been here with her for 20 minutes and we've got women who might end up faking an orgasm to please the male, but then the male's like, I, I don't feel like I'm a good enough lover when it necessarily have to do with, with them being a good lover, but there's a multitude of reasons that are going on under the surface, whether it's just not, that they don't know how the body operates or it's that women again are, are stuck in their heads or they're um, you know closed or many different things happening underneath the surface 
Yeah, the the what you just said right there, Kat, is important. Is curiosity. It, if we lack curiosity for our own body, um, we probably don't have too much curiosity for the other person or how we work or how they work. I know one of the things for me is I'm always really curious. How can I help people be better? How can I, how can I pleasure my partner? So I love being on opposite sides of the bed and performing like here, I'm using my pleasure toy and showing him how I like to use it. And then he's pleasuring himself and I get to see how he likes to move his body um, and how he likes to stroke it. And so that I know what to do with him. And so we're learning about each other from a distance, which I also, I think, creates some friction in, in a really good way and lubrication as well. And leave the lights on. <laughs> so leave the lights on. But the confidence thing is to back up. I think I wanted to ask you this, Lori, um, because confidence is so important. Confidence and curiosity and consciousness is the three that I keep using and they're three C's. So they sound really cool together. But w- what are some tips that women can use if they're finding themselves resistant to learning more and enjoying their own bodies. In other words, how to cultivate curiosity for self. Yeah, that's such a good question. And to your to your C's, I would add the clitoris and communication. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. yes, queen. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Now you've, Yay. Got, now you've got five C's. So <laughs> perfect. And add cat in there too. Yes. Cat. Can we have six C's? <laughs> I belong on that list. You do, girl. Of course you do. You're like the silent C. Oh, I'm definitely not silent. That is for sure. Oh, I know. (laughs) Okay, how about this? You're the implied, like, duh, C. Of course you're in there. You're in the middle. You're in the middle of it all. You're the C trying to create the other Cs to exist. Yes, I love it. You're the C cheerleader. Um, But to, to answer your question, I mean, I think... Oh, it's such a big one, right? Because we're raised with such body negativity, such sex negativity. It's all around us. And so many times women's, you know, not enjoying their bodies, not enjoying their pleasure goes to fear of their own body, not looking right, not acting right, not, you know, doing it right. And I think the first step to all of those things you're talking about is really just self-acceptance. And then it's the question of, great, how do I get there? That sounds really hard. And, you know, as a psychologist, and and Kat, I'd be interested, you know, in what you do, Dr. Kat, but it's, to me, the first thing is debunking all this, the kind of things we're doing now, getting, you know, telling people the truth and then having people really examine both their conscious and their unconscious negative, self-negative, body-negative attitudes that they have and replacing them with more loving, accepting, positive ones. And you can do that with actually self-talk, talking to yourself or mindfulness, meditating and just really accepting who you are and that'll help you with sex too because that mindfulness thing is so powerful the mind and the body in the same place but to me it starts with getting rid of all those shoulds and those negative things that your culture your mother your grandmother your aunt your uncle even your friends tell you and really beginning to radically love and accept yourself Oh, that's yes. Yes, please. Yes. Thank you more, please. We talked it. We got into a really good discussion in episode 10 with Dr. Amy Harwick about reclaiming what we refer her to as 
So we hear a lot of times down there or we hear vajayjay or we hear, you know, all these words that really dictate how the relationship that we have with her or, or do we even refer to her as anything at all? So I hear, you know, how we see our bodies, how we speak to our bodies, these positive affirmations that can really empower us and, and bring that mindful awareness down into our vulvas, into the pleasure and to be able to open it up. Oh, hey, there she is. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm so glad that you brought that language thing up. And I know we won't have time to get into this, but I have a whole chapter in the book, like examining the language we use around sex in women's genitals. And interestingly, it's the chapter that's gotten the most controversy surrounding it, either people missing the point and saying it's just too adorable or people saying it's not important. But to me, the naming is key. And I've been thinking about this. I'm about to write a blog on it. That, like, And it's in the book, too. But if you call everything down there a vagina, right, you're calling yourself by the name of the part that gives men the most pleasure, not women themselves. And you're rendering wow. the, yeah, you're rendering the clitoris um, to nameless invisibility. Some people have gone so far as to call it a you know, symbolic genital mutilation or linguistic genital mutilation. Mm. But every time we don't use the right name, we're erasing the part of ourselves that gives us the most pleasure. Wow. That's so, that's, that's so important. When I was reading your book about that and just even showing, you know, diagrams of what is what and like, I don't think many women know this. You know, we talked about this before. They know their iPhones, they know their um, their computers potentially, or they know their their shoe closet more than they know their own beautiful goddess garden. And in its time, it's like this is, I think, what you know, the shaming of the society and and the irresponsibility of you know, or or I would say the condemning of promiscuity. It's like, but but what about the pleasure part of it? And what about us? And what about me? I was I was at the uh, Korean spa yesterday and I was just walking past these cute little two girls talking. It was, they were like teenage girls, almost women, or you can call them either one. But I heard one of them say, I felt so selfish for saying that. And then the other girl goes, I don't think that's selfish. I think that's just you expressing your needs and drawing boundaries. And I was like, oh my God, I turned around and they were just standing there naked, you know, because that's the <laughs> Korean spa. And I high-fived. I'm like, yes, carry that with you wherever you go. And I and I, I love to hear that, especially the next generation, that it, it is about drawing boundaries and it is about communication in the bedroom. It's communication with the other person. Like, here's what's holding me back. Um, this is not you. This is me stuff. Like, I, I um, just recently for the very first time told someone what was holding me back in the bedroom and it's not something that I've really expressed ever on this radio show but for me when I was a bodybuilder and also when I had autoimmune disease I had cultivated these beautiful things called hemorrhoids and so now I'm like afraid that if I'm doing certain positions then I don't know what will happen you know and so I was like um I don't know how else to say this, but I get these things sometimes. So this is why I'm a little bit shy in these positions and I'm totally red just saying it right now. But even just talking about that and just expressing what my shame was and my roadblocks on why maybe I couldn't go in a different direction with him. And so he didn't feel that it wasn't about him. That felt so good to share. And the way he received it was really nice. So I think that that's the communication that's a part of those five that will bring people together. Do you think, Dr. Lori? I do. And I think, yay for you for, you know, and it's, it's so, 
you know, when you said I have hemorrhoids, it's like, you know, how many, oh, so many people have them and you're, you're turning so red and, uh, and, but I'm so glad you said it publicly because we've all got these little secrets that we're ashamed of that are shared by so many other people. And so there's so much power in speaking to our partners or other women, um, what our little shameful secrets are. And, you know, that's when we discover, oh my gosh, there's a whole bunch of other people experiencing the same thing. So more power to you for not just telling your partner, but but telling the listeners of this podcast that. uh, I'm still like, I'm totally sweating right now. So just, it's not easy. And so I wanted to ask you this, like for me, I've been practicing courage for a long time, that courage muscle so that I can communicate more and can be a stand for other people so that they don't feel shame. Like I've been carrying this for a long time and I've never told a partner. It's been like 15 years. And so I want to ask you, what are some tips that you recommend that, that people can use to become more comfortable expressing to their partner what they like and need sexually and, or maybe what's holding them back? Like if it is hemorrhoids, (laughs) I know 70% of the population gets them at some point, but like still, ah, (laughs) yeah, you know, I think, there's there's at there's at bravery attitudes and skills you know and that bravery piece of being vulnerable being open you're not going to get your needs met without that and that somehow we have learned that talking about our sexual needs is like not cool or pushy or embarrassing and if we could just kind of say it's just a need like any other Um, and start getting comfortable with it and finding, I find when people actually start being open and vulnerable and sort of, you know, take that risk, their partner is relieved because it opens them up to take the risk. So really just sort of, I call it just dive off the diving board, take a plunge, you know, the water will feel good. Um, and you just got to take that step of bravery. And then there's attitudes and skills and the attitudes are, you know, no one can read your mind unless you tell them. And then in the book, I talk about really powerful skills um, to express your needs that are, you know, that we I wish we taught sex ed better and communication better in school. But there's some really simple ones like using the word I before a sentence, owning your own needs, not asking questions that aren't questions like, do you want to have sex? It's not really a question because it could mean I really want to. I hope you do, too. Or I really don't want to. And I hope you don't want to. And using meta communications, communicating about communicating. You know, I'm really scared yeah. to te- I'm really scared to tell you this, and I'm going to take a risk and do so. Uh, I have hemorrhoids or whatever it is. <sighs> you know, yeah. and that those three skills. I tell people if they learn those three skills: I statements, me- meta communicating, and not asking questions that aren't questions. Their relationships and their sex life will improve drastically. You know, and going along with the attitude there, I've also had encourage people, you know, before you tell somebody something, tune in with yourself and say, it's okay. First of all, this is okay. And go into it, expressing it to your partner that it's no big deal. So this is what's up. These are the facts. This is how it involves you or how it doesn't involve you. And this is just, and it's okay. And I've heard back from people that that, way of starting those conversations how it impacts the other person because you have, if you approach it as okay this is no big deal this is just how this is going on and, the, and this is you know what's up that they tend to get very good responses from their partner oh okay thanks for letting me know it's not a big deal yeah dr cat it that is what i would have to say about this whole thing is that 
and and we'll make this the last statement and then we'll move over to our YouTube, um, encourage people to go to the YouTube channel so they can hear and see Dr. Lori and us asking a couple of questions or actually one main question to her, um, super juicy one. But the, the times that I have shared like a virus that I've contracted before and felt it was responsible to share with them and I was freaking myself out totally, this is my own stuff, creating my own fears, um, which 98% of things we fear and think about never happen. Um, there's that never, but there we go. And, and then when I shared that, when I shared that it's such a big load off of my shoulders and it actually brought us together because of how he reacted to it. It was like no big deal. And like, I'm imagining getting in doggy style on this thing, like popping out like a big, a bunch of balloons and like, like the worst case scenario. And it's not going to happen that way, but we blow things out of proportion in our mind. And, and it can actually bring you better together and in your orgasms can be even better. And maybe you have lubrication that you weren't able to before because this new level of trust and acceptance and respect and communication. So I think that it's a, it's a, it's the more courage we have that to communicate, it can bring us together for that oxytocin that we've been chasing for a long time. I couldn't say it better. I totally agree. I, I love that encouragement. Dr. Lori, oh my gosh, thank you so much for joining us on Eat, Play, Sex today. Oh, it was so fun. Thank you for having me. We'll have you back for part two, so stay tuned, lovers. But we will encourage you to head on over to our YouTube channel to see us in person for a real awesome quick five minutes of something that you should definitely know for your sex life. Until the next show, make sure you guys are downloading uh, our guides and buying any of the products in our store that make sense for you to grow and glow. Uh, Hashtag sex matters to enter to win our Yumi. And in the meantime, make sure you always prioritize sex because sex matters. Matters. (laughs) 